Let's create some audio. Let's see if people can guess where we are. A little guessing game now. Here's 10 seconds of sound. Oh, what a lovely popper down. <laughs> okay. Here we get an interactive feature. Pause the, uh, the dollop and come back to it. And uh, no cheating. Yes, you guessed it, my friends. We are, of course, in McDonald's. <laughs> We're in an Indian number, restaurant. What number David's Well, well there? said. It's very, of Thank course, you. for all the traditionalists out there, the dollop nerds, they do get anxious if I don't say the name of the dollop and the, the number. number. David's Jerry Digital Dollop, dollop 283. <laughs> and we are in an Indian restaurant called Imli in Lytham. Lytham St. Anne's. Lytham St. Anne's, yes. Which is in Lancashire. We're drinking a Cobra at the moment, and Sean, apparently there's something newsworthy, or has been in the news about Cobra, oh, yeah. which I'm not heard of. the whole controversy last week at the Tory conference about this uh, policy, which has since thankfully backtracked on that. The old foreigner. declare how many foreigners they employed. Yeah. The uh, man who founded uh, Cobra in the... Maybe the late 80s, maybe the 90s, Indian entrepreneur. He um, was appalled by this. And he's, he's been quite big in the campaign of you know, standing up for uh, businesses and their right to uh, employ whoever they want and the freedom of movement. Very articulate guy. and um, Lovely. Sean's always relying on Sean to inject a bit of sort of political. <laughs> Political commentary there. We have been in a school today doing a school project. One of the children uh, in this school was called Aslan. You're lying. <laughs> oh, I'm not lying, my girl. Uh, not lying. That's the only reason we decided to do this dollop in the curry house, so we could do that joke. Um, oh, very good. A round of applause. Excellent. It's really slick, that, wasn't it? Finish your cobra. <laughs> Cobra? Cobra, cobra. A cobra? Oh, yeah, yes. of course. Oh, well, that's good. Uh, we could have been drinking tiger, couldn't we? <laughs> eh? That sort of works. If, if anybody else, by the way, any Oh, yeah, feel free. Any, uh, this is why it'd be good to do like a live stream oh, dollop, wouldn't it? So yeah, then people could just interact on the fly. So, yeah, we were working with someone who was called Aslan today. And, um, oh, there's been some incredible names. I've heard, you know, Tarragon. Mm. The, the teacher had three girls. What were their names? Oh yeah, Winnie, Winnie, Prim, Prim. Prim. Maybe that's just shot like Primrose. So she's gone. Hang on, she, are these horses' names? Winnie and Primrose. If I was going to have a, I think of Winnie. When I think of Winnie, I think of a horse. I think of Mandela. Do a horse? Of course, because the horse Winnie's. So you think of a horse? Oh, right. You'd call a horse Winnie, and you'd call a horse Primrose, wouldn't you? No, it's spelled definitely Winnie's. If you were a horse, listeners, what would you call? A horse. Well, I know Winnie's a bear, I suppose, but I always think you know, of Winnie. You know, Churchill's wife was Winnie. Uh, Nelson Mandela's wife. I known that. I've read a, a book called I Was So Instant. I Was Churchill's Bodyguard, which is written by Churchill's Bodyguard. And he was a genuine bodyguard. It wasn't some sort of kinky role player that he was involved in. And he sort of. What was he? It was, it was a good book, actually. It was a very good book because it, it got a, a personal insight into what it was like working with the Churchills yeah. for the number of years that he worked with. Oh, yeah. It's so. Yeah, yeah, I can recommend that book. It's quite a strange way in which it starts, because it starts where Churchill isn't mentioned for the first, like, ten chapters or something, because he talks about how he became Winston Churchill's bodyguard, which is interesting. But you think for anybody who's trying to get an insight into Churchill, you probably have to read at least a couple of hours before Churchill's even mentioned. Anyway... Oh, it's getting very educational. We've had political commentary there from you in your Cobra story. We've had uh, my book review, and we've had lion puns. <laughs> so it's uh, well, it sounds like a complete dollop to me, Davis. You think it's finished? You think oh, we're done? done? We're out of here. That's it. <laughs> oh my goodness! There must be no. There's one other thing actually that I 
wanted to report on that happened in one of the schools that we were in recently was that story. And I think we've got a comedian in the making here. This is this oh, man must oh, be yeah. a stunning comedian because his mother was coming to uh, pick him up from uh, school. As she pulled up... It was a proper public thing, which made... But yeah, so it was a proper thing, and she pulled up, and he looked round, and he sort of looked a bit nonplussed, and acted a bit nonplussed, and then he walked towards her. And then, his mother's obviously just saying, get in the car, come on, what are you doing, and what are you messing about for? And then in front of his teachers, and in front of complete random members of the public, he suddenly shouted, what's that you say? You've got sweets and you want to show me your puppy? <laughs> oh, that sounds excellent. I'll just get in here then, shall I? And then close the door. And this, this lad is like 13 year old or something. So there you go. That's something to watch out for. I don't know what he's called or anything like that. Unfortunately, we can't tell you that because of confidence. Oh, can we? Oh, it's Jim. Probably got some weird name like Cauliflower or something like that. Anyway, yeah, it's a short dollop today. So thank you very much for listening. I'll do. I feel like we should have an interesting way of signing off. But I don't well, know. I think you should drink some Cobra. A slur solidarity for the for the man. I, in fact, it is Dred's drink to Cobra and all that it clearly stands for. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Very good, Michael. Very well trained. I didn't do a slur, but you. Thank you. A proper slurp in my ear there. And the thing is, we're not even, we're recording this now uh, three hours afterwards and we're not even in the Indian <laughs> restaurant anymore and he's not drinking Cobra. I won't tell you what's going on there. I can't believe I'm still recording this. David Stanley Digital Dollop, Dollop 284, dolloping from a corridor in a travel lodge. The reason I'm walking through the corridor of the travel lodge is because we're sharing a room. There's three of us in a room, me, Sean and Michael. If I'm in the bathroom, they can hear everything I'm saying. And I'm very self-conscious about doing these dollops because if I make a mistake, I can normally just think, oh, I'll just edit that, I'll say that again. But it's a bit embarrassing if, you, if I do a joke and then I think, oh, no, it doesn't quite work, I'll, I'll reword that. Because you can imagine, you know, you must have known the quality such as the kind of quality that I give you can't possibly just come straight away. You know, it has to take a few takes. Uh, you all right? That could be a that could be a game. It could be the you're right game. I say you're right to someone, and how will they greet me? So far, it's one nil for your right pal. That's the winning greeting at the moment. And let me tell you though that that was not the first take. Those characters there had to send them back three times before they got that right. Oh yes, the whole thing is meticulously done. Many takes, even just the incidental people walking down the corridors. Should we listen outside of this door here and see what we can hear? These are the two people who've just said your right pal. Oh my! The best side Oh, we picked a good moment to listen there, didn't we, people? We've just discovered that the man who said, you're right, pal, to me, then went into his room and he's opened a cider and he's talking to his friend and he has just announced, and we heard it here first on the dollop, that that was the best cider he has ever had. And then he said, and I don't usually like cider, which isn't a massive endorsement, really, if he doesn't usually like it. I'm not intending to spend very long on this dollop because we've got 24 hours of internet, which we ordered at 9 o'clock last night, and it's going to run out in about an hour's time, so I need to quickly edit this, which is going to take a long time, obviously, with the many takes that's been had. For all you know, I might have been listening outside that door. You know, soundbite's as good as that. This is the best cider I've ever had in my entire life. Then again, I don't really drink that much cider. Soundbites like that just don't come along if you listen outside of a door for 30 seconds you know i've been there for half an hour before we got that one you know there's dedication to the cause this
The thing I was planning on mentioning was that I just before I started doing this job, I've got a, a thing on Facebook which popped up informing me that they care about my memories, which is nice to know. And so they said, we're going to start showing you posts and things that you have done on your Facebook a number of years ago on this day. So, you know, I can find out, for instance, that I poked Sarah five years ago, by which I'm referring to the Facebook poke button, which I don't think exists anymore, but did exist five years ago. And um, so things like that, I can tell that I poked Sarah. I, I didn't actually poke Sarah in real life until three years ago. Just a little bit of a, a fact for you there. But the thing that Facebook deemed it interesting to show me from five years ago on this day was a picture. Now, obviously, I can't tell what the picture is being blind, but Facebook has very cleverly put in a bit of technology that will tell the screen reader what the image contains. Well, I say it's clever. I say it's a clever bit of technology. I mean, I think it needs a bit of work, to be honest, because the thing that the screen reader read to me was, it said, this is an image which may contain more than one people wearing shoes. So there you go. I mean, instantly I thought, wow, five years ago, I, I, mean, I can't believe it's five years to the day that that happened. I can imagine five years ago on this day, I can well imagine that I was with at least one other person who was wearing shoes. I thought, well, that completely narrows it down now because I thought of all the memories I have of meeting people barefooted five years ago and I thought well it wasn't one of those although then I remembered that it didn't say that it was definitely more than one person and that we were definitely wearing shoes it merely said it may be an image of more than one person wearing shoes I mean I have a dream I have to tell you for equality and accessibility and one day, you know, blindness, it, it won't matter at all. It'll just be irrelevant. And I have a day maybe that in five years in the future, and I hope I'm not sounding too optimistic here, but I hope that one day, maybe five years in the future or whatever, I will know for definite whether those people were wearing shoes on or not. That would be amazing. But for now, I just have to know that the image might contain more than one person wearing shoes. But in fairness, Facebook did give me a lovely opportunity to go on a real nostalgia trip. And I just started remembering all of the incidents from five years ago in October, where I was meeting people who were wearing shoes. And, uh, yeah, it brought back some memories, that I can tell you. Um, maybe I'll share some of those stories with you at some point. But right now, I've got to get back and upload this golden nugget of a dollop. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Every time you're skipping down the street Think about the shoes upon your feet today It's a magic world when your toes are Dollops. Thank you. That is, of course, the David Stiller Digital Dollop theme tune. Completely original composition there. And that's especially for Jacqueline, who commented, bemoaning the fact 
than I seem to have stopped doing the David's Daily Digital Dollop theme tune. I mean, yesterday, though, in fairness, you did get the Shoe People television theme tune, which I think is uh, a pretty good substitute. And I hope you appreciate as well, Jacqueline, the addition that I made to the theme tune. Where before, I just went straight into it. Just straight into it there. But uh, this time, I, I, I don't know how it came to me. I think it came to me in a dream, actually. Kind of like uh, Paul McCartney uh, writing yesterday. It sort of just came to me in a dream, a flash of inspiration. I thought, why don't we start by going, The Dollops. Don't know where that came from. Have absolutely no idea where that came from. But um, I was rooting around at the bottom of my cupboard which is not a euphemism. It's a cupboard where various foods are stored, including couscous and muesli. What else have we got in here? It's time to... It's... Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for... What's in my cupboard? Okay. Okay, we have in the cupboard pasta. Tube pasta. Has that got a proper name for it? Does anyone know what they're called? Are they just called pasta tubes? What's fusily pasta? Is that what fusily pasta is? It's those little thin tubes. That's the type of pasta. If anyone knows what that's called, feel free to interact. You see, he suddenly thought, oh, he's got absolutely no clue what he's doing here. He's, he's just started randomly playing a game called What's in My Cupboard. Not particularly interesting, but then I bring it to life. And that's the, that's the difference between me and a lot of other people, you know, who release blogs. I know it's a bit of an egotistical thing, and I know people have a lot of things to do with their time, and you were probably thinking there, what the hell am I doing with my time? Why am I listening to a man doing a feature called What's in My Cupboard? But then I brought it to life, didn't I, with the whole pasta tubes discussion. So if there are any media students listening, uh, thinking about going into radio or television or something like that, bear in mind that you can create something from nothing, which is very much what I did there, just with a little bit of a piano flourish. I think that kind of brought it to life. People might, if I just want, now it's time to play what's in my cupboard. People might have gone, oh, this is a bit rubbish. The theme tune, I think, helped it along when it came to the pasta tubes bit. Now, at all. I mean, I haven't even finished looking in the cupboard yet, ladies and gentlemen. While rooting around for something else in my cupboard, I found some Amiga 369 tablets, which of course are fish oil capsules. That is good for the brain, apparently. They've been there for years. I'm not sure what the best before date is with fish oil, but I took, a, I took one anyway. So uh, I'm just warning you. And that's probably why you've probably noticed that today's dollop has been heightened. I mean, if I hadn't taken that Amiga 369 tablet there, would I have come up with the what's in my cupboard idea? Maybe not. Or maybe I would have come up with the what's in my cupboard idea, but I wouldn't have come up with the pasta tubes discussion there. I was going to talk about something else, but I'll save that till tomorrow. What I'm going to do now before we leave is read out a couple of comments. The first comment relates from the dollop two days ago. On the dollop a couple of days ago, we were talking about the fact that we've been in primary schools and some of the odd things that children say. God, it sounds like I'm doing some sort of local radio show or something. It's a quarter past nine right now on uh, on your local radio station for local radio for local people. At ten o'clock, it's the mystery year competition. We're going to play you some songs, and you've got to guess what year the songs are from. We've been we've been doing this feature on this station for the same time for the last thirty years, uh, but it's such a good feature, you know. We just can't think of anything else to rival it. Oh, hang on a minute. I've just had an idea for a feature, um, which I think might even replace the Mystery Year competition. And uh, it is controversial. This has, as I say, been going for 30 years on this radio station. But I've had an idea for a feature. It's called What's in My Cupboard. Uh, I think it might catch on. Um, but right now, it's time for children really do say the funniest things, don't they? That's what we're talking about today. 
Anyway, Catherine comments saying, Lovely working with children. Today I asked my class to compose a Tudor fanfare for an important person. About five minutes after setting the challenge, one ten-year-old boy confided to me, I was going to write mine for Theresa May, but then she's not really very important, is she? I also got a comment from Hannah who tipped me off. Hey, but, hey, sorry, I shouldn't have said that, should I? Sorry about that, Hannah. I, I, oh no, we, I promised to keep that between me and you. But that's by the by. Uh, but she commented anyway. That's what I was meant to be telling you about. She commented to say, The Guardian ran an article yesterday, and it's a subject very close to David's Daily Digital Dollop, especially if you're a listener to the early dollops, because it involves kettles, Wi-Fi-enabled kettles, and I have griped about the stupidity and the pointlessness of such devices. Ben's girlfriend got one for Christmas, and it's absolutely pointless. You have to connect the kettle to the Wi-Fi, and then you connect to the Wi-Fi, and the idea is that you can just boil the kettle from the comfort of your living room. I mean, the problem is, you have to then get up in the two minutes' time to make the tea. It doesn't make the tea for you. And also, you have to remember to put the water in in advance. If you don't remember to put the water in, it won't say, kettle cannot boil. It will just try and boil the kettle, thus boiling an unfilled kettle, meaning that it's just essentially, potentially going to cause a house fire. So that's the kind of technology we're dealing with here. But not only that, the kettle also disconnects at regular intervals from the Wi-Fi, which means if you're trying to use this kettle and you go to do it from the app on your phone, it says, kettle not in range. So then you have to walk over to the kettle and you have to um, press a few buttons. You have to like synchronize it to the phone again. That, you know, and it can take up to five minutes if it's been obstinate. Sometimes you've got to sort of reset it, wait for two minutes before the kettle comes back on again. Sometimes you've got to turn your router off. So you've got to kind of cause disruption to anybody else in the house who's trying to use the internet. And all this just so that you can occasionally have success in boiling the kettle without having to get off your arse. Although you will have to get off your ass in two minutes when it's time to make the tea. Doesn't really make any sense. I cannot understand the point in this. Yeah, so basically it's a pointless thing. And the only reason really that Ben and Elsa have tried to use it at first, when they first got it, was because it was a Christmas present. But after about a week or something, they soon gave up. Now we just have the kettle in manual mode. I mean, fortunately, you can use it in manual mode. That would be an absolutely ridiculous feature. But it wouldn't surprise me if that's where the future is going, where you can't actually manually press a button on the kettle. You've got to do it all remotely. But now we just fill it up manually. The ridiculous thing about that is this kettle takes longer to boil. The other kettle was really quick. It would boil really quickly. This takes about a minute longer. So we're not saving time at all. We're sort of just standing around for an extra minute. Really, we should probably get rid of that kettle and uh, just put the old one in. So apparently, though, the reason I'm talking about this, I've talked about it before. Um, <laughs> sorry if you've, you've probably... <laughs> If you've had to listen to me talk about the kettle again, you know, we've, I mean, I'm explaining this now. Probably, I would say this is the most revisited subject on David's Daily Digital Dollop, is the subject of my Wi-Fi-enabled kettle. So Hannah has given me a link to an article, and it's uh, from The Guardian. Englishman spends 11 hours trying to make a cup of tea with Wi-Fi kettle. Not sure why it's important that the man is English. <laughs> I don't know why, that uh, seems to me like a superfluous fact. Mark Rippman spent an entire day trying to set up his new appliance so that it would boil on command. Mark Rittman set about trying to make a cup of tea at 9am, <laughs> but night had fallen by the time his Wi-Fi enabled kettle could complete the task. Now, and I think the moral of the story here, Mark, is if you listened to David's Daily Digital Dollar, you would have known about the pointlessness of one of these devices. The sounds that you are currently hearing are the sounds from beyond my front door.
of our house in Sheffield. The voices and the sounds that you can hear are people who are looking at the house next door because Laura from next door is selling her house. Now, for dollar newcomers, this may not mean anything to you, but for dollop regulars, it does mean something. Now, I know that Laura has featured in the dollops, but I wouldn't say she's really much of a character in the dollops. But of course, there is Nigel the cat. Nigel the cat will also be leaving, and we will never hear his dulcet meows ever again on the dollops. Is David's Daily Digital Dollop, Dollop 286, I say as I nearly fall down a bank there. If you're wondering what was happening to my voice. So Laura is moving out, our next door neighbour. Our relationship with our next door neighbour, Laura, is, is a good one, but it got off to a bit of an interesting start. Because when Ben and Elsa, Ben's girlfriend, my two housemates, went to view the house, it was just the two of them. I hadn't seen the house before I moved in. So when they first came to look at the house, it was just Ben and Elsa, and they knocked on Laura's door, who's next door, and they were asking questions about the area and that kind of thing. And so as far as she was concerned, it was Ben and Elsa who were moving in together. And they came a couple more times and looked at the house and started moving things in and sorting stuff out. Elsa went to Ghana for three months. And this coincided with me moving in. It was just a coincidence, the timing. I moved in. I had a bit of time off, so I thought, now's the time to move in. And Elsa moved out. But there was no communication with Laura. We, you know, we didn't know her that well to really talk too much. It was just, hiya, hiya, you're all right. And that was all, really, at that point. That was Ben and Elsa. I, I didn't even know her at this point. So then Elsa goes off to Ghana, and I move in. But I don't move in by myself. I move in with my friend Aisha. And this wasn't part of the arrangement. It's just that Aisha was in between houses. She was moving to a new house, but she had to get out of her old one, which means for two or three weeks she was without a home. So she'd been staying at mine while I was at Manchester. So then she'd essentially come with me to Sheffield. So she'd got loads of stuff with her, which she just put in storage in the house. So Laura is looking out of a window. Well, this is a bit interesting. Elsa's moving out, you know, because she's got the suitcase and stuff and she's moving out and, and immediately I come in with this girl. And that's the arrangement for about a week or two. And then Aisha moves out because she has her own place. So now it's just me and Ben. And it's like that for about three months. Elsa went to Ghana for three months. So it was just me and Ben. And I was had quite a bit of time off around this time. So it was very much a case of Ben would come back from work and I would be cooking and that kind of thing. Ben would open a bottle of wine. And you can see what's going on from the kitchen window. And now and again we'd see Laura just sort of look out and then sort of look away. So she was clearly noticing what was going on and thinking, where, where the heck did Elsa go? And she, at one point she came around to get a corkscrew to open a bottle of wine. And this is when I meet her for the first time. And I answer the door and I think I might have had an apron on or something. I was cooking. I don't normally wear an apron. I think on this particular occasion, I was. I think I found an apron and just thought, oh, it'd be nice to wear an apron. You know, I'll probably feel like a proper chef here. So I put an apron on. I think it was probably adding to Laura's picture in her mind, you know, about the kind of couple that we were here. My goodness, I've never heard the sheep so buoyant. What's going on? Oh, goodness. I've never known anything like it. Maybe they know that we're doing the... We've been doing the animal noises feature on the dollops and they're thinking, Let, let's, let's have a contribution. They're saying that's not a bar. Does that sound like a bar to you? Exactly, they're just deliberately making as many different noises as they can that aren't bars. I think they're annoyed. The, the sound that a sheep makes, the complex language of sheep, has been diluted down to the bare bones to just a simple bar and I think they're 
venting their sheepy splings right now. Well, thank you very much for that contribution there, sheep. I get the message. It's not me. I didn't come up with the word bar. I understand. I understand there's more to what you do than bar. I think it's clear that the sheep are David's daily digital dollop listeners. Maybe the farmer. Oh, the dog started now. Woof, woof. Does that sound like a woof, woof to you? God, they're all added on. I think we've angered the animal world. I think the farmer must listen to David's daily digital dollop. The animals have understood what we've been talking about. And they thought he'll be on one of his walks soon. He regularly goes on one of his walks and records the dollop. And we'll show them. We'll put on a show for them. Anyway, so I come to the door wearing this apron. And I was like, oh, hello. Um, I'm wondering if you have a corkscrew to open a bottle of wine. And I, not really thinking about the implications of anything, haven't really considered what Laura might think about our domestic setup at the moment. Ah. Ben's your wine man. He deals with the wine. I'm the uh, I'm the cook. And she's like, oh, okay. And I'm like, so I just call Ben. Benjamin! Benjamin! And uh, call him down. He's just come back from work, so he's half changed. He's getting changed into other clothes. He comes down the stairs not realising there's someone there. He's just assuming it's me and him. Sees Laura and is a bit embarrassed about the fact that he's half-dressed. Hands over the corkscrew. And she kind of timidly goes, sheepishly maybe. I better not say that, actually. Anger the sheep. So she leaves. No questions asked, obviously. So this goes on for three months. It's me and Ben living in domestic bliss. Me cooking of an evening. Him opening the bottle of the wine. Selecting a gramophone for the evening. But then, three months later, Elsa comes back from Ghana. And this happens to coincide with Ben going away on a few days of training at work. So the next thing that Laura sees is Ben leaving with a bag of stuff and then a day later, Elsa returning to the house. Me and Elsa get on well, so we were chatting away and again we cooked some stuff together and um, had a bit of wine with a meal to welcome Elsa back. So now if Laura looks through a window, she'll see the setup is me and Elsa. No Ben anywhere to be seen. And it was like this for a few days. I might cook something. We'd have a little bit of a little glass of wine and have a chat and then retire upstairs to who knows what into our separate rooms but Laura by now must be wondering what the heck is going on she definitely must be thinking there's something weird going on here now you know Ben and Elsa come to look at the house Ben moves in Elsa's nowhere to be seen David and this girl suddenly turn up the girl moves out and now it's just Ben and David for three months then Ben packs a bag he moves out Elsa comes back so now it's Elsa and David and then a few days later Ben comes back and this so happens to coincide with the start of festival season and I'm off for about two months so now goodness knows what Laura's thinking when she sees me with a packed bag and leaving and who should return but Ben so now it's Ben and Elsa and it was like that for two months. And the other two hadn't given it any thought. And Laura was seemingly too shy to ask and thought, well, it's none of my business. Then two months later, I come back. And when I came back, again, it just so happened that Elsa was away for the weekend. She'd gone to France to see her family. So I come back, and Ben was away as well. And I thought, Laura is going to be so confused by what the heck's going on here. Now it's just me in the house by myself. <laughs> And I was thinking about knocking on a door and saying something like, excuse me, I know this is a bit awkward, but while I've been away, has there been a woman here, a French woman? And seeing what Laura would say, and she says, well, well, uh, yes, I, th I think there has. And I, I knew it, I knew it. He said, never again, never again, he said. I let him have his fun with the Asian girl for that three weeks. I thought that was it. I thought that was it. His fling was over. I thought finally he could accept his homosexuality and live in domestic bliss with me. Yes, I know it's not just woof woof. I know there's more to it. Woof woof indeed, they're saying. Listen to that. That's more like a root root. You don't understand the complexities of our language. I've angered the animal kingdom. Anyway, I can tell you with the benefit of hindsight that she was immensely confused by what was going on. It's because she was too polite to ask. But we discovered this 
when we invited her to our housewarming party, which was about six months after we actually moved in. But what happened at the house party only confused Laura even more and I think made us think that we were even more crazy and weird than she might have expected before she came. But I shall tell you that story. I think that's a good place for a cliffhanger. Oh, what a lovely way to start David's Daily Digital Dollop 287 with the sounds of a bird there fluttering in the bushes. So we invited Laura, our next-door neighbour, to our housewarming party. Already, she was thinking that we were a bit strange. But, in fairness, she said she'd try and get there as she could. And at half past nine, she arrived. The party was in full swing. We'd been going since about six o'clock. And Laura rings the doorbell, and I answer the door. Now, I'd had quite a few to drink, and this was a mixture of... Well, I suppose, actually, you could probably call it blind drunk. Because that's quite a, a good definition. Because not being able to say massively brilliantly... And and having the alcohol on top of that caused what happened next to happen. I was waiting for my friend Aisha to arrive at the party. She said she'd be there for half past seven. And I recently got a message from her saying, I'm running late, but I'm, I'm on the train now. I should be there for about half past nine. So half past nine came, and I was expecting her to arrive about half past nine. That's when she said she would get here. But that just happened to coincide with Laura arriving. And I hadn't considered that this might not be Aisha. I just assumed it was Aisha. And not being able to see that it wasn't. She greeted me with an enthusiastic hi. And in my head, it sounded just like Aisha. I've known Aisha since I was four. So I then go in for a massive embrace and I'm sort of berating her playfully for the fact that she's two hours late so I'm having a go at her, you took your time we've been going since six o'clock, I thought you were you know, come on, come on in at which point I then drunkenly declare to the room, she's here everybody she's here, the party can now officially get started, but turn up the music and I turn the music back up and people cheer you know, thinking, oh well he's obviously enthusiastic about this person, we'll get into the spirit as well, at which point Ben and Elsa are fighting their way through the crowds in order to try and tell me that I'm not with Aisha and with Laura, our next door neighbour, who is now looking rather uncomfortable and very confused. You know, we haven't really spoken to each other. All we've spoken to each other is just like, hiya, hiya, you all right? Yeah, that kind of thing. She's already confused by the domestic arrangement because of all the comings and goings in the house. Now she's come to the house party thinking, oh, it'll be a nice thing to do. I'll stay for half an hour or whatever. I've embraced her, so you took your time, didn't you? Well, you're here now. And then turned the music off, shouted, she's here, everybody. Now the party can get started and turned up the music. Continued embracing her as I got her into the kitchen. And then Ben and Elsa were trying to fight their way through the crowd. And eventually they managed to explain to me in front of Laura that this is our next door neighbour. At which point, out of embarrassment and out of being drunk and also finding the whole thing hilarious, I then burst into hysterics and gave off this rather high-pitched cackle. But that wasn't the end of it. I then thought that this was so funny that I then told everybody that I met, sort of parading Laura around the room, saying, my God, everybody, I thought this was my friend Aisha, she's, who's late, but it turns out it's our next door neighbour Laura, goodness knows what she must be thinking of us now, eh? And I must have told that story to everybody, sort of just like guiding Laura through everybody, introducing us, saying, sorry about that, uh, Laura, you know, I thought you were my friend, that was the, the thing there, she wasn't who I thought she was, everybody, sorry about that, uh, so yeah, I can't understand why she's moving, um, I thought she enjoyed the area. When we when we spoke to her, she said, I really love the area. You know, I wouldn't move, she said. But for some reason, she's moving. I just can't put my finger on it. Or maybe that's another reason why she's moving, actually. In fairness, I shouldn't have put my finger on it. With the benefit of hindsight, you know, it was a bit of a bad thing to do. We barely knew each other. I, mean, well, I was drunk, you know. But, yeah, I, sh I shouldn't have put my finger on it. Uh, so sorry about that, Laura, and hope you... Enjoy your new house. But that's not the only time I've made a rather odd impression with people when I move to a new place. But I shall tell you that story in tomorrow's dollop. Dollop 288.
Come on, dog, would you waiting here? I thought this was a beautiful moment. They're trying to do the uh, Puffin Billy theme tune. That's what the dogs are doing. Before Manchester I was in Gateshead, before Gateshead I was in Hartlepool, I went to university in Scarborough and in those areas there's not really much, or certainly wasn't then, much of an Asian community. It's very white centric. I mean Hartlepool is very white and doesn't really have much of an immigration population. Which is why when you listen to the news and Hartlepool votes 70% in favour of leaving the EU and they do vox pops in Hartlepool and everyone's saying oh yeah you know to stop the immigrants coming in. You think well we don't really have any immigrants. Hello. Yes. Easy, dear. The, I really think I've annoyed the animal kingdom. Yet again, another contribution from an animal. I mean, to give you an idea of how white-centric Scarborough is, or certainly was when I was at university there, across the country there were a number of gigs happening, anti-racism gigs called Rock Against Racism. And there were all sorts of universities that got involved and put on these Rock Against Racism nights. A celebration of multiculturalism and a musical show of solidarity. And I don't think there's anything wrong with Scarborough putting on one of these nights. I think it was a good idea just because there wasn't really an ethnic community in Scarborough at the time when we were at university. It's still pertinent to put on a night and show solidarity regardless. So Scarborough University Student Union put on a Rock Against Racism night and it was only one non-white person in attendance and that's absolutely fine and he was well known in the university and he'd just come along to the night with his mates. I suppose the, the point of him being black to him didn't enter into it. He didn't go to the night because he was black. He wasn't the token black person there. That wasn't the, the idea. He went, his mates were going, he went. He believed in the ethos of the idea and the night just as everybody else did. You know, that was it. However, the MC got a little bit carried away. I think he got a bit drunk. I think sort of missed the point a little bit and <laughs> didn't seem to understand the irony of what he was doing. He basically got on the microphone and said, we've had a great night tonight, we've had some great rock music, and you know, we're all here under one cause, and that's rock against racism, because racism is wrong, and he did this big speech about, you know, anti-racism speech, and everyone was, a great feeling in the room. And he said, you know, because it doesn't matter about the colour of our skin, we're all the same underneath. This is big, passionate speech, and that's why we're here, to celebrate that. But then, his eyes found the one black person in the room. His eyes lit up and he became so enthusiastic and he said, my goodness, ladies and gentlemen, we have a black person here tonight. <laughs> we have a black person here tonight. This is the reason we are here. We are here and we are so glad that you have come tonight. And I'd like to ask you, my friend, to accept the applause and to come onto the stage and join me here on the stage tonight. And there was a few people going, oh, well, I don't think that's really, you know, the, 
the idea of the night. I mean, now you're kind of making a big thing out of it. But no one sort of knew what to do. And, he, and he's the kind of person who, he's a bit nonchalant. So the man gets up and of course, and now people are like, well, we can't just be silent and not applaud. So people start timidly applauding. And they're like, come on, ladies and gentlemen, come on. We can do better than this. This is what we're here for, come on. <laughs> and so everyone has to like applaud. It could have been a lot worse, I suppose. And it's so good, and I know, you know, you have to listen to our rock music. It's so good for you to come out and listen to our white rock music. You know, I'm sure you'd rather hear the, some bit of reggae or something like that, or, or maybe a bit of blues, the music of your great-grandfathers, of course, when they were slaves. I'm sure that must run deep in your blood. <laughs> so that kind of gives you an idea how white-centric Scarborough was. Gateshead was much the same, as is Hartlepool. So I'm saying this to explain why what happened happened when I moved to Manchester. I moved to a block of flats. In the first day I met someone, as I was moving in, I met someone who lived there. And we just had a little bit of a chat, a tiny chat, and he introduced himself, he was called Mohammed. So I meet Mohammed, but basically, I sort of hadn't accounted for the fact that there was more of an Asian population in Manchester, obviously, than there was in Scarborough, Hartlepool and Gateshead. A few days later, my friend was at the front door, we were going out somewhere, and as I came out, I was greeted by Mohammed. So I said, oh, you all right, Mohammed, how are you doing? And then Mohammed held open the door for me. So I walked through the door, thank you, Mohammed. Walked a few more paces, and I said, I'll see you later, Mohammed. So as I was walking, I was like, ah, just off out, Mohammed. I'll see you later, Mohammed. And then he gets the other door for me. And as I crossed the threshold, I turned to him and said, all right, see you later, Mohammed. Bye, Mohammed. Bye. And I closed the door. At which point, my friend says, so are they all called Mohammed then? And I said, well, you can't say that. It's a bit, a bit racist. What do you mean, they all called Mohammed? You know, it's a, it's a common name, but, you know, it's like David's a common name. But, but of course, they're not all called Mohammed. That's ridiculous. What do you mean? He said, I'm not, no, I'm saying... The four lads that you were talking to, they were all called Mohammed, were they? So I had absolutely no idea there was four different people. Okay, a quick intervention. I've just uploaded today's dollop and then listened to it back and realised that I missed out a fundamental point, one which you probably have already grasped. But the four lads were four Asian lads. So that's why my friend had said, are they all called Mohammed then? But of course, I only thought there was one person there. It's not even certain that there was even Mohammed there. I just heard an Asian voice and went, oh yeah, of course, that's Mohammed. Anyway, now we've clarified that, back to the walk. In fairness, the light wasn't very good. I again used my blindness here to justify what happened, but I didn't like have a cane or anything with me, so I don't think they would have realised. I think they would have probably just thought that that's what I do. Like, I just can't be bothered. Oh, they're just all the same, aren't they? Just call them all called Mohammed. So I just called four lads the same name. Well, that's just easier, isn't it? It's no point learning separate names. Just call them Mohammed. It's a lot easier. So that's probably what they thought I was doing. As if there were a group of Chinese people, I'd just go, you all right, Mr. Wing? Yeah, how are you, Mr. Wing? You all right, Mr. Wing? Maybe a Mr. Wang, if I'm feeling a bit adventurous. A bit of contrast. Hey, all right, David, I'll get the door for you. Oh, thank you very much, Paddy. Hey, good afternoon, David. Oh, thank you, Jock. I think they just thought I was a bit racist. And I don't think I spoke to them again. I don't think they ever spoke to me. I think they thought, look, we. We held the door open for him. He insulted us by basically assuming we were all called Mohammed. All right? You all right, Mohammed? David's Daily Digital Dollop, Dollop 289. Dolloping from an old Lancashire mill. It was only a matter of time, let's be honest. Since we started this project, we've dolloped from a hot tub, we've dolloped from the bath, we've dolloped from a horse. But it was only a matter of time before we dolloped from an old Lancashire mill. Don't worry, I haven't become homeless. If you're worried that I've been doing these dollops for free, and you're thinking, David, you know, if you'd have set up a donation button on your website, we would have chucked you a couple of quid now and again, you know, for your brilliant genius. You know, I, I hate to think of you starving, you know, having to doss in a 
abandoned mill because you can't afford anything because you're spending all your time doing these free dollops. That's not what's happened. We're in Preston doing a school project. We're here for a week. And the place that we're staying is a number of rooms that you can rent out for a week or two. It's situated in an old mill in Preston. A couple of days ago, I went to the pub with Ben, my housemate. I think the pub that we ended up in was quite an arty place. To give you kind of an idea of the arty nature of this pub. There was a piano in the pub and I played a few notes and immediately someone was able to point out what the chord was. Ah, interesting, if sharp diminished there, very good. So we got talking to a couple of people, but we ended up getting into uh, a rather unexpected, oddly heated, drunken discussion. I say oddly heated, bearing in mind the subject matter that we were discussing, which was this person was getting rather passionate, rather hot under the collar about the fact that in his opinion, and this was a man probably in his 70s, but he was getting rather passionate. He was kind of thumping the table. Not in a kind of an aggressive way, but in a way that you'd imagine an artist, an arty, pretentious person might thump a table. I don't know if you can imagine that. But... And he was, he was getting rather hot under the collar, rather hot under his tweed collar, about the fact that, in his opinion, BBC Radio 3 was uh, well and truly dumbing down. That's what he reckoned. I mean, I cited the fact that it was only a few weeks ago that I stumbled across a programme on Radio 3, which was a collection of sound recordings that were played for about an hour of an Adriatic fishing coast. Some recordings that were played at a festival. And at the end of an hour's worth of recordings, I have to confess, I didn't listen to it in full as such. I kind of, it was sort of on in the background. I kind of kept dipping in and out. It was kind of more of a thing of like, is this still happening? I was quite surprised. I was wondering how long this is going to go on for. I would say it went on for about an hour. I was busy doing other things while that was going on, but it was just the sounds of people casting their nets and pulling their nets in and the sounds of children and, um, and, the, and village life and that kind of thing. Essentially, it was just someone playing a collection of old recordings on cassette of an Adriatic fishing village on loop for about an hour. And at the end of it, there was a bit of a pause, and at the end of it, the audience very respectfully applauded. There was no whooping. I mean, to be honest, I was quite surprised that they even applauded. I mean, we've just heard a, essentially an hour's worth of tape recording, and someone has just applauded it. I think whooping might be a bit extreme, but I would, in fairness, I would say that even the timid hand claps that this particular piece of audio was afforded, I think, was a bit too much. And then, after that, there was basically this woman had set up loads of microphones in a room and she had recorded the sounds that the traffic made on her harp strings. So she wasn't playing the harp, she'd basically mic'd it up, opened the window and every single time a car went by and it rumbled, it interacted with the harp strings and that was her piece. And that went on for a good 40 minutes and at the end the audience applauded. Not as much as they applauded the uh, tape recording of an Adriatic fishing village, but I mean that was pretty impressive stuff, I have to say. I mean, in fairness, I am being a bit frivolous here, and I think it's only fair that that should have been applauded. I mean, you know, the, the person who recorded it might have forgot to press play and record. You know, that would have been quite embarrassing, wouldn't it, you know? So, in fairness. So I was trying to make the point that, I'm not sure if that's really, if you can say that's dumbing down, can you? But he seemed to think it was. Um, and at one point, as a bit of a joke, I said, oh yeah, well, they even put folk music on now, you know? They even have, like, folk bands performing. Oh, that really, that incensed him. I was quite taken aback. He's like, oh, exactly. My point exactly, my friend. My point exactly. So I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to come clean and say, oh, I am a folk musician. I felt a little bit like uh, Peter 
there on the, you know, when the cock crawls three times. And I did, I, I denied folk music. I remembered, actually, a couple of days ago, that I got completely mistaken. When we were talking about the animals, I completely misremembered. I talked about someone who decided to play me, and I'm not exactly sure why, but who decided to play me once the, the, the sounds of copulating badgers. And I was completely wrong about that. It was, in fact, copulating tortoises. It was only when I was doing the dollop, I thought, well, we could end with the sounds of copulating badgers. And I, I looked, I scoured YouTube for copulating badgers. I managed to find quite a few videos but they were all silent they didn't someone had put some music to one of them like <laughs> just thought it was quite nice there wasn't the sounds of the badgers which I found very disappointing you know I'd loaded up the video very expectant there with my trousers around my ankles ready for the old uh, badger copulation sounds but it wasn't to be but then I remembered it wasn't badgers it was tortoises bit of a correction there uh, maybe we should end today's dollop with the sounds of copulating tortoises. Copulating tortoises, incidentally, was one of uh, John Peel's favourite bands, I believe, from the 80s. John Peel on Radio 1. And now it's time for a session from one of my favourite bands of them, recent times. It's uh, Copulating Tortoises, and this is uh, I'll Come Out of My Shell If You Come Into Mine. So I think we'll end today's dollop with the sounds of copulating tortoises. Um, but before that, how about some um, atmosphere from this Lancashire mill, this mill in Preston. So what a great segue here. This is like BBC Radio 3, this. You know, this is the kind of thing that BBC Radio 3 will be doing in a few years' time. According to this man, it'll only be a matter of time before the ambient sounds of an old, abandoned Lancashire mill is juxtaposed with the sounds of copulating tortoises. So that's what I shall leave you with, and I shall be back tomorrow with Dollop 290.